Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up next, a family pays respects at a cemetery and gets a rude surprise. They saw the body, called the police, It was a pretty horrifying sight. A message is written on the dead man. It was the fact that those letters were on his chest that made it so unusual. We got confirmation of that today from the Clay County coroner. He said that the word fed was written on the body in felt tip marker. Can a test of how those letters were written lead to a suspect? The forensic anthropologist who examined his body was a trained illustrator. Which made her uniquely qualified to solve this mystery. They call me the boondock bondock. That little corner of Kentucky is different. A lot of strange things happen. Eastern Kentucky is deep in Appalachia. And even locals will tell you that Clay County is about as deep as it gets. Clay County had a reputation going back to the 19th century of blood feuds, a lot of smuggling. And of course, when prohibition came, it was a big part of running moonshine and illicit liquor to urban areas, including Chicago and places like that. The area is heavily forested sparsely populated and extremely isolated. There's no main roads that travel through there. There's no main industry. And it's a very poor community. The place was known as being the kind of place where a a, a bad element hangs out. And a number of people said they don't go there without a gun. Shortly before sundown on a September evening in 2009, a family went to visit long-dead relatives. When this family arrived, they saw a man naked with a rope around his neck. Can I play some you Can I help you? Yeah, we were just uh, went to the cemetery on Double Creek Road, and uh, there's a man up there. He's hanging from a hanging from a tree. Police arrived just after sunset. The dead man appeared to have been there for days. As they approach the body. They notice that it is a highly unusual scene. His hands and his feet were bound. He was naked, except for his socks. Strangely, his glasses were taped onto his head. He wasn't fully hanging in the air. He was partially on the ground. A red rag had been duct taped into the dead man's mouth. One of the police detectives saw blood coming out of his ear, and so his thought was that he had been bludgeoned. Taped to the side of the man's head was an identification badge from the U.S. Census Bureau. He had his census ID that was hanging basically off of his ear, so they had his name right away. The victim was identified as 51-year-old William Sparkman 
a local teaching assistant. To make some extra money, he'd been interviewing people for the federal government's once-a-decade census report. Mr. Sparkman was fearful and concerned about his safety while he was out performing U.S. census work. And this possibility of danger might explain the strangest thing about this very strange crime scene. Written across his chest in black marker are three letters, F-E-D, FED. That would be a, a typical slang term for federal, federal employee, federal agent. Which immediately, obviously, sent off alarm bells with everyone. Was this an actual message to the world? Be careful if you're a federal employee. In 2009, someone being murdered because he was doing government business was hardly a far-fetched theory. Police are not releasing exactly how Sparkman died or really what kind of injuries he had. At this point, they say they're not ruling anything out. America's first black president had been in office for less than a year, and many weren't happy about it. Gun sales spiked. The Tea Party, highly critical of the government, had just formed. At the same time, drug overdose deaths in Kentucky had shot up nearly 300% since 2000. This brought a lot of FBI agents to Clay County, and not everyone was pleased. A big angle of that story was whether or not Bill Sparkman had stumbled into some kind of criminal ring or uh, activity that led to his death. As I was talking to the gentleman who lived there, he said, if the federal government shows up here, I know how to handle them. And then he pulled out this long gun and kind of held it up and said, this is how you handle them. Now, with a government employee dead under highly suspicious circumstances, it looked as if someone thought the best way to send a message to the feds was to kill one of their representatives and to make it as public as possible. It's a lynching. I mean, I mean, quite simply, it's a lynching. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Four now breaking news and a disturbing new report about a census worker found dead in Kentucky. The man was discovered with a rope around his neck. Speculation about what happened grew very quickly, and it was widespread. The common theme publicly was that he was lynched. Detectives examining the scene were surprised, not so much by what they found, but what they didn't find. There was no sign of a struggle. He didn't have any defensive wounds on his wrists, anywhere on his hands. Roughly 40 yards from the body was a red pickup truck later identified as Bill Sparkman's. Detectives combed a 300-foot radius around the scene, looking for evidence. As a part of the search, they found no evidence of footprints, tire tracks, or anything to indicate that any vehicle other than 
Mr. Sparkman's had been there, you know, for, for quite some time. No foreign fingerprints were found on the duct tape binding parts of the body or in Sparkman's truck. The absence of evidence at the scene led detectives to a possible conclusion. One of our working theories was, was Mr. Sparkman killed in some other manner and in some other place and then brought to this location and then placed on display? Detectives found nothing unusual at Sparkman's house. So just who was their victim? Bill Sparkman was a gentleman in his 50s. He was not married. Interestingly, he had adopted a two-year-old son when he was in his early 30s. By all accounts, Mr. Sparkman was a kind man who went out of his way to help other people. After volunteering at a local elementary school, Sparkman set his sights on becoming a full-time teacher. He enrolled in an online university, but soon a routine medical checkup upended his life. He was at the doctor. He said that he just mentioned that he had a cyst on the side of his neck. He wasn't too concerned, but the doctor was. And so they conducted tests and found out that he had stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Despite the setback, Sparkman continued on with his job and with his studies. In 2008, he got his degree. This wasn't the only good news he received that year. After some brutal chemotherapy, his cancer was in remission. He did the whole course of treatment and was able to be cancer-free. Everyone who knew him said they couldn't imagine why anyone would want him dead. But many said his relationship with Josh, his 19-year-old adopted son, was rocky. Bill lived for Josh, but Josh was constantly getting in trouble with the law, and he would take advantage of his father. About a year before Bill's death, Josh was charged with possession of a stolen gun and got six months house arrest. And now, police couldn't find him. We were unsuccessful in making personal contact with Mr. Sparkman's son. A few days later, Josh Sparkman walked unannounced into the local police station and claimed he had nothing to do with his father's death. Josh Sparkman was a suspect, largely because of his demeanor when the police interviewed him. He was kind of flat and seemed very suspicious to investigators. Josh said he didn't know it before his father's death, but it turned out he was the beneficiary of his father's life insurance policy, worth $300,000. Josh was living a fairly modest, meager life. When money is involved, you do need to consider, could they have killed someone in order for the profits that come afterward? Josh Sparkman walked into a Kentucky police station after hearing of the death of his adopted father. He had an item that provoked a lot of interest. Detectives referred to it as the just-in-case letter. And it was apparently written by Bill Sparkman. If you were reading this and you were snooping around, put it back. If something has happened to me, then you can continue. Josh claimed to have just found the letter hidden in a drawer in his father's house. What this contained was life insurance policy and other financial documents 
and Josh was the beneficiary of the life insurance policy. So that prompted them to start investigating Josh. By this time, Bill Sparkman's autopsy had been completed. The cause of death was asphyxiation. The pathologist also had a window for Sparkman's time of death. There were still partially digested food items in Mr. Sparkman's stomach that, based on investigation, led us to conclude that he could have died as early as the Wednesday before his body was found. This was three days before the body was discovered and was in line with the last time Bill was seen alive. It also appeared to get his son off the hook as a possible suspect. Josh was working during the time period where this death could have occurred, and we were able to rule out fairly quickly that he did not have any direct responsibility for his father's death. Bill's autopsy revealed another potential clue. There was an apparent anomaly with a bone in his neck, called the hyoid bone. Of the more than 200 bones in the human body, the hyoid is unique. It's the only one not connected to any other bone. Hyoid bone is a little tiny bone that fits right here at the base of your neck. It has no other bony attachments. It anchors the muscles that allow you to speak. Because of its location, the hyoid is often broken if someone is strangled or hanged. So a broken hyoid in this case was not unusual. But something else was. We examined it under a microscope. And based on that, I saw an old fracture, a healing fracture, and uh, two other small fractures. With this hyoid, this fracture was old and healing. This one was new, and this one was new. Since he'd been asphyxiated, fresh fractures of Sparkman's hyoid made sense. But how and why had he sustained a pre-mortem fracture of this bone? His medical records didn't indicate any such injury. No one had an answer. It was a very, very intense time. The detectives worked under incredible expectation and pressure. Now, a new potential suspect entered the investigation. Lowell Adams had known the Sparkmans for years. Lowell Adams was a family friend. He was Josh Sparkman's friend. They had a falling out, but he remained friends with Bill. Lowell Adams told police that weeks earlier, Bill had asked for his help. When the Census Bureau told Bill to do interviews in Clay County, he was warned not to go alone. Bill Sparkman felt like he needed security, and Lowell Adams was the young man who Bill paid to accompany him on some of these trips into rural Kentucky. Now detectives got some surprising information. Lowell Adams also had something to gain from Bill Sparkman's death. At that point, I found out that Lowell Adams was one of the beneficiaries of the um, insurance policies. For reasons no one could explain, Lowell Adams was also set to receive $300,000 from Sparkman's insurance policy. Lowell said he didn't know about this and that he had nothing to do with Bill's death. Police asked him to take a polygraph test and it didn't go as planned. This was obviously a surprise to the investigators. He tells a much different story, and he makes it clear that he knew a lot more than he was letting on initially.
When detectives learned that Lowell Adams stood to profit from Bill Sparkman's death, he went to the top of a very thin list of possible suspects. The first time they spoke to Lowell, he basically said he didn't know anything about what had happened and had no clue what might have led to this. Lowell initially agreed to be polygraphed, but then appeared to change his mind. On the day of the polygraph test, Lowell Adams shows up with a different story than he had told police. He told us that Mr. Sparkman had talked with him on multiple occasions about wanting to end his life. He had asked Lowell if Lowell would help him do it. And at one point, he even told Lowell that he was planning to stage it so as to make it look like a murder. Lowell said he tried to talk Sparkman out of it and refused to help him. Lowell later passed his polygraph test. He also had a crucial piece of information that might explain something that had been bugging detectives since Sparkman's autopsy. He said that Mr. Sparkman practiced attempting to suffocate himself using materials at his house. In a follow-up search of the residence, we did in fact locate some beams in a part of the house where it appeared that ropes had been attached to them with some type of weight bearing on those ropes, leaving indentations in the wood itself. This could provide a possible explanation for the breaks in Sparkman's hyoid bone that happened before his death. This fracture showed signs of healing. So that means he survived that injury. If Bill Sparkman had staged his own suicide, could he have been the one who wrote the letters F-E-D on his chest? And was it possible to prove it? It turns out Emily Craig was in a good position to address that question. I've been a practicing uh, expert in two of the most esoteric, obscure professions in the world, was medical illustration and forensic anthropology. When Emily Craig examined the letters on Sparkman's chest, which had been written with a felt-tip marker, she noticed something unusual. When someone is writing the alphabet, they start at the top and they bring it down. I don't know anybody that starts at the bottom and pushes it up to make a letter. There's always a minimal amount of ink left at the launch of a stroke, but the primary bead or pool is always at the end of the stroke. So this beading or smudging in the ink is not unusual when writing with a felt-tip pen, but the locations of those marks in this case were unusual they were at the tops of the letters. It tells me that the marker was drawn from bottom to top, on the E, on the D, and on the F. This started at the bottom and came up. According to Emily Craig, this meant whoever wrote the letters was writing them upside down, and that would be the position Sparkman would have to be in if he wrote the letters on his own chest. What Dr. Craig was telling us is these letters were written from the bottom up. So basically from his waist up to his chest. Since no marker was found at the scene, he probably did this at home. For investigators, all the pieces were finally falling into place. Why was there no sign of another vehicle at the scene? Because Bill Sparkman drove himself there. Why no foreign fingerprints? 
because Bill Sparkman was alone. Why no sign of a struggle? Because there was no struggle. And why were the ink beads on the wrong ends of the letters F-E-D? Because Sparkman wrote them on himself. And perhaps the oddest twist? Investigators believe Sparkman's glasses were taped to his head because his eyesight was so poor he wouldn't be able to see well enough to put his plan into action without them. A 360 follow now. Kentucky State Police say a U.S. Census worker who was found hanging from a tree with the word fed scrawled across his chest committed suicide and staged his death to look like a homicide. Mr. Sparkman was found in contact with the ground, almost on his knees. To survive, all Mr. Sparkman had to do at any time was stand up. The ultimate tragedy in this tragic story is why Bill Sparkman did it. He had been thinking his cancer had come back, and he was very concerned about the prospect of dying from cancer and having this very painful end to his life, so he wanted to end it earlier. But if he died by suicide, no death payment would be paid out to his son or to Lowell Adams, and he wanted to make sure the people close to him were taken care of. His family has not publicly disputed investigators' conclusions. In the ultimate irony, Bill Sparkman's autopsy showed his cancer was in remission. He was not dying of cancer. I felt incredibly sad for Bill Sparkman and the fact that he had put a lot of people through kind of a torturous journey. We were able to resolve the case correctly based on the evidence that we found, and as much so what we were unable to find. It's an extraordinary case. It's one that impacted the investigators. They had never seen anything like it. And I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like this since, frankly.